Uh, when I was in ninth grade, I was a bit of a mess. I was just a crazy kid. And I drove my earth science teacher absolutely insane. This poor woman, she was a great lady, actually, looking back. Uh, she was just an awesome lady and had a great sense of humor and, and just kind of hung in there with us. But I just drove her nuts. So really, it was no surprise by the time Regent's time came that uh, I took the test, didn't do very well. I actually got a 64 on it. 65 is passing. That just, that's just killer. I got a 64. And I, I remember saying to her, like, couldn't you have at least given me a point for spelling my name right? You know, and she looked back and said, Doug, if you had spelled it right, I would have. You know, so I was just a mess at that point, okay? Things weren't great. Um, Failing that, though, basically, earth science became my entire summer because then my, you know, the school demanded it, but even more so my parents demanded it, that I take the regents over at the end of the summer. And so earth science just became everything. I lived and breathed earth science. And so, I mean, just everything I could think about, I was studying, I had to go upstairs and study every day. I didn't have to go to summer school, but I had this book, this review, regents review book. I could still see the red cover and just, I despised that thing. I had to go up there every, every day and study and try to do, you know, half hour, an hour, whatever. Mom would make me up there and go, go up there. And um, so I'd be, I'd just be, it was just all throughout my mind. And it really defined that summer. I remember looking back, I actually had to come home early from a family vacation in Maryland to take the Regents and then drive all the way back. My dad loved that trip. That was a good one for us. Um, But just, I mean, it was constantly on my mind. I'd be out playing baseball with my friends and they'd be like, well, check out that sunset. And I'm like, and if you look near the sunset, there are cumulus clouds, which comes from the Latin word meaning heap or pile, you know, and they're just like, you need to chill, you know, too much earth science going on here, you know. But really what happened was, is earth science became this thing that kind of just hung over my whole, my whole summer. And basically, everywhere I went, this is kind of what I projected, and it's kind of what everybody saw. It was just, all right, Doug is miserable because of earth science. That circumstance is driving him crazy, and it's 100% on his mind all the time. Now, the interesting thing is, it's just like earth science kind of hung on me that week, or that summer, rather, and defined that summer for me, even to the point where I'm 34 now, and I still remember it like it was yesterday, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the circumstances of your life tries to do the same thing. There are several circumstances in each of our lives that's trying to hang over our lives and define who we are. Last week we talked about how people try to often you know, identify us and say, this is who you are and this is your identity and, and how really we, we get caught up in this performance mode then. It's constantly, I have to perform, perform, perform because so-and-so walked in the room And we talked about that last week. And this week, I just want to really talk about this idea that not just people, people aren't the only thing in life that try to tell us who we are. So, so does our circumstance. And so maybe for some of you guys, here's what's hanging over your life. You have this word victim, and it just hangs over your life. And everywhere you go, this is what you project. This is what you think about. And just like I can see this sign, just like you can, It's almost like this thing hangs out over every situation, everywhere you look, everything you think about, this word victim hangs over. And something terrible might have happened to you, something bad or hard happened to you, and this is just, this is your lens. I just see this wherever I go, and so does everybody else. They see me as this, I see me as this. And so it's become maybe a part of your identity. I think another one we can struggle with is, is being sick, right? If we have some kind of sickness that just, man, it's so hard and it's so tough and it's almost just like everywhere I go. Again, I'm defined this way. People know me as this and I know me as this. And this is basically who I am, you know? I'm not me anymore. I'm, I'm sick. That, that, that's who I've become. And so my circumstances really trying to come after. Maybe a, a few of you guys, especially, we have a lot of college students that will be here at the 8 tonight. Uh, this is probably a big one right here, okay? In debt, right? 
And it's just like everywhere I look, that's what I see, you know? I mean, we can all relate to those times where we're in debt and we have a lot of finances and you, you know that weight that hangs on you and as you're just kind of looking uh, at, at every different circumstance, you're just constantly thinking, well, do we have the money for that? Can I afford that? How are we going to get out of this? How are we going to get out of this uh, being buried in this? Another one that's big, again, again, uh, this will be bigger at the, the 8 o'clock service, but single, single, right? That defines so many people's lives, and it's like, I just can't get past my singleness. It's just, it just hanging over me, you know? And, and I'm having a good day, I'm having a good time, and suddenly just this reminder comes out. And it just seems to kind of overshadow all that I do. And that's who I am. People think of me, they think of single. Another one, every one of us can relate to, just sinner. You know, just we walk around with the regret or the guilt of the last week or the last month or the last year or something we did 10, 15 years ago. And we walk around and this just defines us. And again, we see everything through that lens. It's constantly in front of us. Just like I, I cannot see any of you without seeing this. I see this everywhere I look, peripheral, whatever. It's just I see this hanging out there in front of me, reminding me that I am this and that it's what I probably have come to be identified as. And so tonight, I just want to say, maybe there should be a new sign that hangs over our lives. Maybe rather than letting these things define us, maybe rather than letting these things say, hey, this is who you are. This is your identity. You are someone who's in debt. You are someone who's sick. You are single. You are a victim. You are a sinner. What if we began to say, something new is going to define me? What, what, what would be powerful enough? What, what sign could we place over our lives that would be powerful enough to replace all those others? You see, the reason this is so important to talk about is because, I don't know if you've noticed this, but whatever sign you're holding out front, and, and maybe I didn't have your sign up front. Maybe there's a different one that you're thinking about tonight. I don't know what your sign in particular says. But no matter what sign you're holding out over, over your life, you know what? It's doing several things. And maybe you don't realize this. It's doing several things. One, it's robbing your joy. You know? You, you ever have a good day and, and, and you're just laughing, something funny happens, you know? Those of us that are parents just laughing at something ridiculous one of our kids did. And then all of a sudden, do you know that feeling? I hate this feeling, but it's, it's so real. You come down off that laugh, and then it's like, oh, yeah, but I'm in debt. You know, oh, yeah, but, but I'm still sick. Or, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a victim. Or whatever your sign might say, it just kind of seeps you back into that, that reality that just brings a lull back over the entire excitement or passion of that moment, you know? I hate that. And so that's one of the things that these signs we hold up tends to do. Another thing it does is those of us in the room that are married, your, your sign your circumstance probably determines a lot in your marriage. If, if you have decided that that sign is who you are, then it probably determines a lot about the way that you relate to your spouse. You know what else? If you're a parent or if you're a child, you probably also have this same dynamic with your, with your parent or child. You have this same thing. It's hanging over your life and it, inter, it just jumps on the way you interact with your kids or your parents. And so there's this, all this, you know, issues around the home. And, and really, I mean, I know this is true of me. When I, when I start to struggle on what's on my sign, and I start to think of myself and see everything through that, I'm, I'm taking out on my kids or my wife what has nothing to do with them. It's just, that's all I can see right now. Because it's right there in the way. Did you know that these things really hinder our relationship with God? That they really begin to try and pull us back and hold us back from being able to just be free 
in a relationship with God. And so, man, I'll tell you what, the circumstances that try to t- identify you and tell you who you are and hang over your life and my life, that they, they take too much from us. There's got to be another sign that can hang over our life. There's got to be something else that can tell us who we are so that we can begin to see everything through that lens. And just like those bad signs that hang over our lives right now tend to bring in negativity and tend to steal things from our life, I think a new sign, if it's based on truth, could actually begin to bring us toward joy and could bring some life into our marriage and could bring some life into our relationships with our kids or our parents and could bring some more life into our relationships with God. And so that's the sign I want to talk with you guys about tonight. And so I want us to read some verses together in Ephesians. And I want to say this too, because my guess is there's somebody in here tonight, or, or at least a few people that would say, I don't know about Jesus yet. I'm not a follower of Jesus. And I know you might be thinking, well, this is like a, a church thing or a Christian thing or a God thing. I'm not really into that, you know. But I just want you to see that tonight the things we're going to read about apply to you. I, I really hope that the verses we read and the way that we talk tonight is understandable to you and that you can maybe walk out of here even saying, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm a little bit more curious. Maybe that'll be your response. Or, or even more than that, man, I can't explain this. I came in here with my arms full of thinking I wasn't going to like any of this stuff and it wasn't going to speak to me. It was just going to be completely uh, irrelevant to my situation. Maybe, maybe you'll walk out of here saying, I, I want that sign hanging over my life. And so I encourage you to just check this out with us. And so what does this sign say? What's powerful enough to change and give us a new identity? Ephesians 2, we start out with the bad news first. And it really is really important that we start out with the bad news. We've got to start out with some terribly, terribly bad news so that we can realize the power of the good news, okay? So here's what Paul says to this church in Ephesus. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. So you're going, Doug, that doesn't sound like a very good sign to hang over my life. I kind of liked in debt. I'll take that one over in sin and transgression, okay? But you and I here, okay, we just got to, again, bad news first. We, we have to realize that you and I were completely dead in our transgressions and sins. We have several nurses, EMTs, doctors, cops that come to collision. And you know what? None of them, none of them have ever seen this. They've never been at a crime scene. They've never been in an ambulance or, or a hospital and seen a dead person grabbing, you know, for the defibrillator and throwing that thing on themselves and bringing themselves back to life. N- never seen that. Guarantee it. You could ask them all. You know, most of them come to the aid. I'll, I'll introduce you later. But, but they've never seen that because it's impossible. And you know what? You and I were dead in our sin, and it was impossible. There was no way you and I could grab defibrillators, bring ourselves back to spiritual life. You and I were that far gone in our sin and apart from God. And so that's, that's kind of an interesting place to come from, okay? And it gets worse even before it gets better. He says, he says, so you're dead in your transgressions and sin, verse 2, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. So he's saying, okay, not only were you dead, but you were actually following, well, who's the, who's the, who's the ruler of the kingdom of the air? That's Satan. So following the ways that Satan would have us go, um, completely following the ways of the world, just doing what felt good, doing what felt right. There was this issue in our heart. We were simply followers. And that following cost us everything. It brought us basically to a point where we were dead in our transgressions 
and our sins. Our youth pastor, Joey, tells a great story. Um, he's got a dog that's just, just a little thing, like runs on batteries, this big. I mean, this tiny little dog called Miley, cute little dog. It's a real dog, but it does run on batteries. Um, and so this little thing chased some ducks. I don't even, I've never seen a duck near my house. I don't know where Joey lives, but he found some ducks. And so started chasing these ducks out of Joey's backyard. And so the ducks are going toward the front yard. Then they run down onto the street and Miley's, you know, just barking at him and everything, these little baby ducks. And so one of the baby ducks, who I guess was the leader, I don't know how this works in duck world, but baby duck leader decided, all right, I'm going to run for safety. And so he actually led the rest of the ducks into a little sewer drain near Joey's house. So baby ducks are down there. A neighbor realizes these poor ducks have gotten themselves into a sewer drain, and she's freaking out. So she calls 911. It's a true story, right? The fire department shows up, okay? They go over. They see the poor little baby ducks. And you know those grates that sit over the top of those sewer drains? So they get down there, and you know things are heavy. So a couple of these guys, man, they lift this thing up trying to get these baby ducks, and they drop it, and it crushes all the baby ducks, okay? Isn't that terrible? Isn't that horribly funny? I mean, uh, terrible, right, right? Isn't that nuts? You know what, though? That is the exact story of you and I who have just followed the leader, have said, okay, we're going to follow the ways of the world. We're going to follow Satan just like those little baby ducks in the back line. Okay, it'll be all right. We'll just, we'll just keep following. We'll just keep going. That's what you and I have done. We've just followed and just kept going the way that Satan was leading or the world was leading to the point where our sin and the weight of that sin and the consequence of that sin would have been this crushing, crushing death. And so that's what Paul's trying to help us understand here is going, look, guys, I just want you to know where you came from. And then he says this, it gets even worse. It says, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. So this is what we all were. Just people who were just, just craving stuff. I mean, I got three kids, and they're always craving food, and they just become animals, you know? We were, we were leaving here today, and they couldn't stop asking, where are we going to eat? Where are we, Dad? Literally, my son and daughter, we are not getting in the car until you tell us two possibilities of where we might eat today. I'm like, get in the car, right? And so we're going on and on. We're driving around a little bit. We were doing a little shopping before we got to lunch. When are we going to eat? When are we going to eat? Just craving. You know that thing, man, that, that drive in you when you're just that hungry? Well, that was the hunger of our of our flesh, of our sinful appetite, was just gimme, gimme, gimme. I'll just fill myself with whatever I can get my hands on. And then he says, he says this, like the rest, like everybody else, we were by nature objects of wrath. I was talking with one of my buddies, Adam, this morning at church, who's got a little one-year-old. This little girl just turned one. And he, was, he and I were joking and laughing about the fact that this little one-year-old has this ridiculous sin nature. You know, he's talking about all these things and how she just thinks everything belongs to her. And how, you know, she's hanging out with some friends and some other little buddies. She just goes over and takes whatever she wants, you know. That, that tells us something. That by nature, little Sophia London didn't have to learn that. By nature, by who she was, by being born, she was a sinner who would follow the ways of the enemy would follow the ways of the world, would be lost and corrupt and an object of wrath. And so, so here, here's where we are, okay? And again, you're like, I don't get how this helps at all, okay? Objects of wrath, deserving only of God's wrath and anger. You ever, you ever get an attitude toward God? I, I do sometimes, I'll, I'll be honest, right? 
You get an attitude toward God. God, why? Why would you do this? How, how could you allow this? I'm, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm this, I'm that. See, this verse just brings us back to the only thing we deserve, which is his wrath. And so we start there, and we go, okay, Doug, what does this have to do with my identity? What's the sign that I can hang up over my life so I'll view everything else through this? Look at the next verse. It says this in verse four. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. So you and I deserve hell, death, wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. So you and I are laying on the gurney in the ambulance, unable to grab the defibrillator, unable to do anything to get our pulse back. And Jesus brings us to life. Jesus says, this is what you deserve, my anger and my wrath. But, and this is the craziness and the beauty of it, God goes, instead of you enduring that wrath, which you deserve, by the way, I will take that out on my son. That's a powerful start to where we're headed tonight. Verse six, and God raised us up. Oh, I'm sorry, next part says, even when we were dead in transgressions, it's by grace you have been saved. It's by grace you have been saved. So I, I hope you and I weren't starting to get a little chip on our shoulder like we were worth saving, right? We talked about that last week. God didn't look at you and go, wow, because you're so talented or so pretty or so funny or, no, 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 he, he, didn't, he didn't do any of that. Like we said last week, he chose you before you ever performed. Purely grace, you have been saved. Verse six, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And I love this. Just think about this. So basically what it just said was, we're gonna be in heaven. We're gonna be in heaven someday. Verse seven, in order that in the coming ages he might show us the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in, in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So, so what he just said was, okay, not only are you going to heaven, but for all eternity, I mean, we just gotta get this through our heads, for all eternity, we will be shown the incomparable riches of God's grace. You ever think heaven was gonna be boring? You know, like, what am I gonna do? You know, you see all these pictures of people floating on clouds and all this kind of stuff, right? For the rest of eternity, you will be shown the riches of God's mercy and his grace. I don't know exactly how that all works out, but if I know what it is to have an awesome wife and some great kids who make me laugh, I know what it is to have some great friends and go to a ball game or play softball or, and enjoy all that here on a broken, fallen earth, I can only imagine what all eternity will be like when God just going, I'm gonna keep on showing you my grace. I know you've seen a little, but we got all eternity here, so let's keep going for it. I'm just gonna keep on rolling out my mercy and my grace to you. And so you deserved hell, and I deserved hell, and we deserved wrath, and we deserved anger. But instead, we get heaven and we get eternity and we get for the rest of eternity to be shown the kindness of his grace. He goes on a little bit more. He says, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith and this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Nobody can boast. You and I, this is the lesson I've been learning so much, man. If I'm honest, I spent a lot of my life performing 
thinking I was doing things for God that I could somehow earn his favor more. And I knew I was a Christian thinking this. You know, I, if I could only do this, then he'd like me more. If I could only do this, he'd like me more. And he's just going, look, it's grace, it's grace, it's grace, it's grace. Don't try to boast. Don't try to earn it. Don't try to perform for it. But this is all grace. You, you are not going to heaven because you're good. You're going to heaven because he's good. And so I just, I just think about this, man. What, what is the new sign over our life? What's that new banner that we could have over our lives? I think, I think it's this. I think it's everything that Paul said all summed up into one statement. I deserve hell, but I'm going to heaven. I mean, just imagine walking around with this in full view. Everywhere you go, every time you, you're going to talk to somebody, every time you need to have a, a meeting with your boss, every time you're going to see a teacher in the hallway, every time your spouse walks through the door, every time your kid walks through the door, you just imagine walking around with this, just seeing it again. Like, like I saw before, sinner and in debt and sick and all those things, every time I looked at you, I can't see any of you without seeing this. Did you just imagine the power of hanging this hang, having this hang over all your circumstances and let this be the new identity of your life and just let that constant reminder be there. I deserve hell. I deserve anger. I deserve wrath, but I've gotten love. I've gotten mercy. I've gotten forgiveness and I'm going to heaven. I don't know. I mean, if obviously I don't have a poll and a sign for each of you, okay, but I don't know how I could walk through my day if I could see this before me every moment and ever have a bad day. I mean, you could have a bad day, you know, physically and literally, but spiritually and, and in my heart, I don't know how I could yell at my kids with this sign hanging over my head. I don't know how I could be disrespectful to my wife or, or uh, you know, look at a, a debt situation or a sickness situation or anything, any of these things that try to define us and tell us who we are. I don't know how I could, I could have this in full view and worry because that defines me and that is now my identity. I mean, just think about this hanging over your marriage. What, what would this do if this was in the midst of every conversation? Imagine this hanging over the way you treat your kids or your parents, right? Imagine this walking through the hallway at work tomorrow for us kids walking through the school hallways in a few weeks how you treat the teachers, how you, how you interact with your friends. I mean, just imagine the power of this always, always before you. Imagine just your joy level, right? The stuff that used to get you angry, right? You're at the DMV, right? Yes, I'm here to renew my license. Oh, you need uh, Form G24A. I have Q24A. Oh, I'm sorry, that won't work. You're gonna have to go back home and then go to this other department and then have this person and wait on this line again and get the, and you just look up and go, it's all right. <laughs> it's all right. I, I, I'm going to heaven, man. You know, I'd like to hit you with this pole right now, but I'm going to heaven. So it's all, it's all good. Imagine the difference that this could make. Several years ago, actually about 11 or 12 years ago, there was a guy named Eric Smallridge, and he was driving his car home after drinking a lot of alcohol. And he ended up hitting another car and in that car were two girls. And these two girls were killed. And over the next several years, Eric Smallridge 
was in jail and over time actually began to develop a partnership slash friendship with the woman to his left who was actually one of the girl's moms. And this girl, uh, this girl's mom, decided rather than being angry at this kid and hating this kid that she would actually partner with him to go around to public schools to talk about drunk driving and all that kind of stuff. But that's not really the part I want to focus on. The part I want to focus on is the fact that this guy who deserved complete punishment and complete anger and complete wrath from this woman, this guy who deserved to have hanging over the rest of his life the word murderer, drunk, sinner, the one who took this woman's life now has a new sign written over his life. And that new sign is this, and this is him talking right in front of that new sign. Forgiveness. Because this woman has actually said that this man who hit her daughter in this car and took her life has become like a son to her. And I'll tell you, a guy like this is gonna see the word forgiveness written over his life for the rest of his life. And his... This woman actually worked. He had, I believe, a 24-year sentence, and he actually, she got it cut in half for him. He's being released this year. And, and I just think about that, and I think about the fact that that sign is going to be hanging over his life for the rest of his life, and it's going to change everything for him. I mean, he could have stayed in prison and, and never been forgiven and never been changed, and he could have just lived the rest of his life probably angry and upset and all these different things, full of guilt and all this stuff, but instead, he gets to walk around with that sign, forgiveness, over his life. Is that going to affect his joy level? i got to ask you. He gets married someday. You think he's going to be a different husband? He has kids someday. Is he going to be a different father? He worked for somebody. Is he going to be a different employee? Because he was given a second chance. He was given life when he deserved death. And man... I think that's got to change everything for him. And, and the funny thing is, is for me, and I'll just talk to me for a second, and if it happens to hit you, then let it hit you, but I walk through life not just forgiven for, God forbid, taking somebody's life, but for all sin I've committed against God for all time. And I don't know that it hits me like it should. I don't know that it impacts my marriage like it should and my relationship with my kids and the way I treat my coworkers like it should. I don't know that it impacts my relationship with God like it should. I can tell you I don't walk through life enough. Sometimes yes, sometimes no, but not enough with that sign as my identity, as deserving hell but going to heaven. And I think that if you and I could grab a hold of this and we could begin to live life under the banner of that that very, very, very much would change. And so, let's say this sign's hanging over your, your life tonight. What, what changes in your marriage? What changes in the way that you interact with your kids or your parents? What changes in your joy level? What circumstances that you're looking at right now that are just, just killing you, man, just, just hitting you so hard that you could now say, all right, yes, this hurts. I'm not trying to belittle anybody's pain tonight. 
make light of what you're going through. I'm just saying I think there's something so much greater that should have our attention and should tell us who we are. And that should define us. You ever been so excited about something that nothing can get you down? You know, you're so passionate about a sport or, or a new relationship, right? Or you're getting married, right? You're just so passionate, you're so excited. It's like, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. Nothing can bring me down. Well, if there's anything that should be able to keep us focused and joyful and alive, it's this truth that we deserve hell, but we're going to heaven. The story I told you about Eric and this woman really falls short, actually. It's inspiring, but it's not, it's not actually what's happened to you and I. You see, you and I have had something much greater happen because in that story, what didn't happen was this girl's mom didn't watch Eric go free while she served his sentence. You see, that's what happened with you and I. Jesus didn't just say to us, you know what, you deserve hell, but I'll give you like 12 years there and then I'll kind of just let you out. No, you see, Jesus said, I will enter into your position. I will enter into earth, into a human body and live this life blamelessly and be beaten and spit on and crucified in your place while you walk free. That's what's been done for you and I. And I don't know, I just can't imagine that there should be anything that should be able to tell me who I am but the fact that I deserve hell, but I'm going to heaven. And so I pray that as you guys think about that this week, that it will change literally everything for you and that you'd be able to walk through life saying, all right, my boss is this, my coworker said that, my financial situation, my sin struggles, my marriage, my kids. But, but, but this one thing, it grounds me. It's the only thing I always see out in front of me. So would you take that sign that says debt and would you take that sign that says sinner and that sign that says sick and victim and whatever your sign says down and would you replace it with this one and begin to view it all? Why do I have it out on that pole? Because uh, you know, I could have just held it up over my head, but if I hold it up over my head, I can't see it. Everybody else can see it, but I can't see it. Now, I had it out on a pole because I need to always see that sign everywhere I look, that that's who I am, and that's what's been done for me. And then I can live in joy, and I can be the husband and father and worker that God wants me to be. And so you and I, we deserve hell. Nothing short of the full wrath of God but we've been given love and mercy that will be expressed to us for all of eternity as we live in heaven with our Father. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful that you've treated us in a way we don't deserve. And we just pray, God, that you would be with us. This, this is easier said than done. I understand that. But I just pray, God, that you more and more will make this the way that we live our lives, God. That people would look at us and be able to say, man, I don't get how you can have joy right now. I don't understand your marriage. Why are you guys so loving? I don't understand how you interact with your kids like that. How do you stay patient? Why are you such a good worker? Why do you work your heart out? Why do you work as though you're not just working for a paycheck, but, but for something more? God, that those would be the comments we get because people see that our identity doesn't come 
from our circumstance. It doesn't come from being sick or a victim or a sinner or anything else. It just solely comes from the fact that we deserve hell, but we're going to heaven. God, that's gotta change me more. That's my honest assessment of my heart right now. It's gotta change me more. It's gotta be more real to me. It's gotta help me live differently. I should laugh more. I should be more patient. I should be more loving. I should be more free. So God, would you let that identity become the grid that I see all of life through? And would you help these others here tonight in the same way? If you're a Christian, would you ask God to make that what you see, to make that the sun that hangs over your life? If you're not a Christian tonight, you've heard a lot about what we believe. You've heard that we are sinners and broken and can do nothing for ourselves and that we need a Savior and that we need grace and that it's all about grace and it's not about performance and it's not about your works, but it's about what Jesus did for you. And so tonight, if you feel like God's doing something in your heart and you're saying, man, I want that sign over my life. I want to be able to say, I deserve hell, but I'm going to heaven. Then I believe God's doing something in your heart right now. I believe he's grabbed that, that paddle, man. He's got that on your chest right now and he's bringing that dead heart to life. And he's showing you your lostness and your need for him. And so if you wanna begin a relationship with him tonight, it's not this prayer that saves you, but I would encourage you to begin a conversation with him. And you can just say something like this, just silently in your heart to God. Jesus, thank you for bringing my heart to life tonight. Thank you for forgiving me for my sin. And thank you that my sin and my circumstances and my performance don't tell me who I am. Thank you that you tell me who I am. Thank you that you say that in you I'm valued and I'm loved and that Jesus took my place. And so forgive me for my sin and help me to live a life of faith in you and just to see how real and close you are. And I thank you, God, that I deserve hell, but I'm going to heaven.